Let's pray. Lord, as we come to your word, I pray, God, that we would look to you, Father. I pray, Lord, that we would uh, hear from you today, and God, that we would understand your truth. I pray, Lord, that you give us ears to hear. Lord, I pray that your spirit would help us to discern our life. Help us to see, Lord, the implications of what we're looking at. I pray, God, that we would see things as they really are. And Lord, I pray that in my weakness, God, you would be my strength. I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified and honored in all that takes place. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you got your Bible this morning, if you'd open up to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to continue where we started last week. We're going to be looking at a life that pleases God. A life that pleases God. Our text is going to be in verses 5 and in verse 6 of Hebrews chapter 11. And last time we were together, to give you an idea of how we were looking at this, we were looking at Enoch, and we were looking at five observations about his faith. Five observations about his faith, but we only made it through the first two. And the first two that we looked at were, we looked at the backdrop of his faith, the backdrop of Enoch's faith. And when we look at the backdrop of Enoch's faith, we quickly begin to see some things in Genesis, because he's mentioned not just in Hebrews chapter 11, but he's mentioned in Genesis chapter 5. When we look at Genesis, we start to be reminded of this promise in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that there was going to be a seed of the serpent, a seed of the devil, that was going to be like typified by a spiritual rebellion against God. And while the seed of the woman would be fulfilled in Jesus, you begin to see this confrontation and this this, this, this duel that goes on between the people of God and the people of the devil. You remember when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and how offensive but how honest Jesus was with them when he spoke about their father, the devil. And when we look at Genesis and we look at the characters in the book, we quickly see that Cain was a descendant, spiritually speaking, of Satan where Abel was a spiritual descendant of the line of Messiah. And we see this contrast, and we're reminded even in Genesis 3 that the people who walk with God are going to be walking with him in a climate of darkness. I saw an article yesterday I thought was interesting, and it was basically millennials are, deba are debating whether or not to have children. And the, the article was taken from a secular point of view, and they were basically were saying, we don't think it's good to bring children into this world. And um, from the mindset and the worldview of the people that it was polling, it makes sense. It makes sense. They were more baffled and concerned by global warming than they were about the holiness of God. They were more worried about bringing a, a person into this world in that circumstance. And I understand from the worldview that they take but what I want you to see here is, is that when we walk with God, it's always going to be in the backdrop of darkness. And that should not deter us. It should give us hope because the people of old all walked in this backdrop. And we saw it not only in Genesis 3, we saw it 
as we keep going and we see this whole issue of Cain, he went east of Eden, east of where God had intended man to be. East reflects the consequences of the fall, the consequences of sin. You see, this morning we come together and, and or later on in verse 6, later this morning, we're going to look at, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him. And we're going to see the hope. But here's the predicament. All of us can relate with Cain that we are east of Eden apart from a redeemer. This morning, you are away from the purposes of God apart from Christ. And your only hope of fellowship with God is not in your own works. It's not in your own goodness because when we're honest with ourselves, we see how we fall. We see how we fall short. We see how our sin is ever before us. But what we need in order to be made right with God and reconciled with the Lord is we need a redeemer. We need a substitute. And the Bible is pointing to us the reality that apart from being justified by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we stand condemned and separated from God. Just as Cain was east of Eden, he was away from fellowship with God. He is a typical representative in that sense of all of us apart from the work of Jesus Christ. As we get started today, do you know Jesus? Have you trusted in him? Salvation comes not through making yourself better by going to church, by making yourself better, by being a good person. It comes through the atonement that only Jesus can provide. It comes through the free gift of his grace. It comes through the reconciling work through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we see that Cain was east of Eden. We see that he built a city. And, and as we looked at last time, I was reminded by uh, Dr. Borgman that we are either going to be living in the city of man or the city of God. When we think about Enoch and we think about a man that pleased God, you have to start asking yourself a question. And teenagers, this is what I would propose to you. Are you going to live in the city of man or are you going to live in the city of God? Are you going to walk in the city of man or walk in the city of God? Because the world's mindset will always be about its own goals. And all the guys in here that went through Pilgrim's Progress with me, we saw that when Pilgrim and Christian went into that city and they went into the city of the world and Vanity Fair and they looked at that city and they looked at all that it was about. And in that moment, they recognized the fact that they were hated by the things of the world. Enoch was a man who did not live in fear of all that there was, and I'm way far back today. This is bothering me. So even though I'm going up two feet, I feel like I was, I was preaching at uh, Jack's back there all the way. So I'm coming up a little bit. So he was uh, east. He built a city, a city out of his own mindset. And Lamech is one of his descendants. And what do we learn about Lamech? I mean, here's a guy who was vengeful a guy that just represented sin and the destruction of sin, on and on and on. And what do we see in Genesis 5? We get into that genealogy, and we see, and he died, and he died, and he died nine times. And it reminds us that the fall's consequence was that man would surely die. But in the midst of a chapter that reminds us of the penalty of the fall, 
we see this hopeful verse in this hopeful life of a man named Enoch because in the midst of all of that death, he did not see death. What's going on here? Over and over, and if you go all the way to Genesis chapter six, you see that the ultimate judgment of this period of history from creation all the way up to the time of Noah was that God literally takes the world and destroys it with a flood. I mean, we have got destruction and we've got one family that comes through over and over. So what do we see? The backdrop of his faith. But then we get into the blessings of his faith, the blessings of his faith. And what were the blessings of his faith that we came across? The blessings of his faith initially was the a miracle in verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. What a remarkable passage. I was going back, and the only other example of a man that experienced this is Elijah, 2 Kings chapter 2. And I love it because when you look at 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 1, now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. You go down, and it says in verse 12, and Elisha saw it, and he cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen, and he saw him no more. I love that because it's very similar to the way that Enoch's translation into heaven was described in not only Hebrews, but in Genesis chapter 5. So what do we have here? We have the blessing that he experienced that God graciously, out of his own sovereign wisdom, takes these two men. He takes Enoch, first of all, and he literally was not found anymore because he went on to heaven with the Lord. He was taken up. And so when we look at this, we see the blessing that's clear. I mean, that's one that baffles us. And typically, when kids ask pastors questions, they're not easy. They're hard, you know? And it's like when my kids come to me and ask me questions, a lot of times I'm like, go ask your mother. It's like stump the preacher, and they're hard questions, and, and kids and, and, and generations have been baffled and with just so much intrigue by the man we look at here in Hebrews 11.5, Enoch. People are so fascinated, but what else do we see the blessing of? We see the blessing that he walked with God, and that's where we finished off last time. We looked at a lot of New Testament passages, but I want to keep going here, and I want to look at this. I, as I was chewing on this this week, the thing that kept coming in my mind was I was like, okay, what does it mean to walk with God? Because if we're going to go through Hebrews chapter 11, wouldn't you agree with me? God in his providence has saw fit that we study Enoch. And I've never done one sermon on Enoch before last week. And this I've never done two until this week. And I'm thinking like, what do we need to learn? What do we need to learn about what it means to walk with God? Wouldn't it be a shame if all we did was get amazed about all the things that happened to Enoch and we didn't even put it in the question of how it relates to us? Wouldn't it be a shame if we just studied about a man who walked with God and didn't ask any personal questions about what are the implications for me? 
Would it not be a shame that if we didn't say, wait a minute, if a man under the old covenant, under the law, by the grace and the mercy of God, walked with God, how much more are the implications for us who live under the new covenant? Amen? I I pray that we do. I want to look at some things with you, and I want them to be just like laying the groundwork, okay? Just reminders, because we can learn a lot from these passages, because it sort of teaches us what does it mean to walk with God? What does a walk of God with God look like as we look at the blessings that came out of his life? You know, the, the first one I love is Colossians chapter 2. This is the kind of walk we're referring to. When we talk about walking with God, we're talking about walking in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And you know one of the tremendous blessings that we've been looking at on Sunday night when we went through the whole section of union with Christ? Every spiritual blessing we receive as Christians is due to the fact that we now are united with Christ. You see, like this morning, you could take... if. If we had scholars in the room and we had just, you know, seven-year-old kids and five-year-old kids that have believed in Christ as a result of hearing about Jesus in a Sunday school room, even though the scholar would have so much more language to describe what had happened, the reality would be no different for the young child, the young child that would receive all the blessings. And here's one of the blessings you got to see, and I've got to see this morning. It's that, that phrase, in him, It's the picture that under the new covenant, under the new covenant, by the grace of God, we have now experienced salvation in Christ. And now his grace enables us to journey in fellowship with him. You see, this morning, when you look at your life, Christian, right now, if you're not walking out of the blessings and the gracious provisions that are yours in Christ, You've lost sight of the glorious salvation you have in Jesus. Can you relate with me how many times I can relate to that in my journey where I've just lost sight? And I think one of the things that God does here is graciously calls out to his people to never lose sight of the glorious provisions he's provided for them in his son. This morning, don't let that escape you. God in Christ Jesus has given you every spiritual blessing and spiritual blessings in him enable you to walk with him, enable you to know him, enable you to follow him, enable you not just to look as the people of old would look towards the veil and see that veil that separated, but enable you to draw near, enable you to walk You see, we see that it's a walk in Christ. I'm just going to name certain little phrases as we go to each verse. The next one is Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live how? By faith. In the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is a walk of faith. We learn about Enoch in verse 6. I don't know about you, but I've always quoted Hebrews 11.6. It's a great refrigerator verse, right? You know, without faith, it's impossible to please God, but I think he's describing Enoch's life. He came to God believing that he was, believing that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who seek him, describing the journey of Enoch. But this walk, never let us forget, is a walk of faith, of dependence, of trust, 
Everything we learned in verse one of Hebrews is a reminder of that this is the type of walk that God calls us to. This is the type of journey. This is what he means when he speaks about walking with him. Another passage that's really important is that it's a walk in humility. Ephesians 4, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy. You could say it's walking in a manner worthy of the calling. That'd be another heading. But look what he says, worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all what? Humility. With all humility. I, um, he goes on, I, I switched it there. Hang on a second. The, look at verse two. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. This is a walk that you can only experience by the grace of God as you walk humble. You can't experience this walking arrogantly. You can't experience this walking in pride. You know, sometimes it's funny because uh, I'll notice, uh, I don't know, the older you get, you know, you live life. I've worked with teenagers for about 12 years in Albuquerque. But one thing I'd always notice is a lot of times kids that were pretty humble in seventh grade, by the time they got to 10th grade, they got bigger and stronger and they started walking with a little bit more swag a little bit more swag. And when you see him, that kid that used to look at and say, hey, how are you doing? Hey, I'm great, Pastor Steve. Now you say, hey, how are you doing? They say like, I'm good, how are you? Because you know, like athletes, strong athletes, they got to man up, they got to be powerful. That, it's, it's something that we just sort of like see in the world and, and we want to portray toughness, confidence, strength. But I'll tell you, if we approach God like that, we'll never know him and we'll never walk with him. We got to come to him humble. We got to come to him not strong and confident and look at me and I've got this act together and I'm so thankful Jesus can encourage me in my spiritual journey. No, I'm destitute, I'm bankrupt, I am nothing apart from him. It's a walk of faith, it's a walk of humility, it's a walk of dependence, it's a walk of eagerness, it's a walk, and, and I tell you, we, we, we laugh at that, you know, about using those examples of kids, but isn't that the way we all are? At times in our life where we just look like we got our stuff together and we think that we can do it and we fall into those same traps that we found ourselves in in adolescence. You know, it's, it's a walk of humility. What else? We see in Proverbs, it's a walk in integrity. Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. You know, integrity is when you learn from a parent or from a teacher that you trust when you're a kid in elementary school, when they say, you know, integrity is what you're like when no one's looking. A walk with God is not some public display of your religiosity where you get to show people, you know, that you are a, a proud member of this church or, or you are on display and coming. Integrity involves what it looks like in your life when no one's around. What it looks like in your life when you're 700 miles from Scottsboro and there's not a soul that you know in that city. What does it look like? And it's only by God's grace. It's just a reminder, isn't it? Because everything that we see in these verses that remind us of our inability point us to the reality of the new covenant blessings in Christ, that Christ Jesus can make us have integrity. Christ Jesus can enable us to walk in humility. Christ Jesus can give us this authenticity in our life. Another passage that struck me is that it's a walk in wisdom. Ephesians 5, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It's a walk in wisdom. We'll keep going here because we don't, we, this may turn into part three. The uh, 
2 Kings 22, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and walked in all the way of David his father, and he did not turn aside to the right or to the left. I thought about this, and you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus is talking about the single eye? It's like, it's like the focused eye. It's like the eye that, that, that it's on Christ. It's on his kingdom. It's on his treasures. It's on his way. It hit me. It's like if we're going to walk with God, it, it's a single focus. It's a walk that, that goes the way that he goes. It's not walking and swerving to the left or swerving to the right. It, it's like, have you ever uh, been on the road and somebody in front of you scares you after death because they start swerving and they're probably texting? I know nobody ever does that, but you can relate. And then they move and that's dangerous, scary, scary stuff. Could be fatal. But what do you see when they do? You're like, no, 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 you don't need to go left. You don't need to go right. Don't go off the road. Don't go over in the left lane. Keep going straight. A walk with God is straight. It's walking after him. We look at, I love this right here. It's a walk in the light of God's face. Blessed are the people who know the festal shout, who walk, oh Lord, in the light of your face. It's an intimate walk. It's a walk seeking the heart of God. It's a walk seeking the face of God. This is not a walk we experience being simply religious. What does religion look like? Religion, we all know it because we're probably apt to going at this route. It's ritual. It's, it's certain things. It's ceremony. But this is walking with God. This is following after him. I'll tell you, you know, the heading that we're looking at, we looked at the backdrop of his faith, now we're looking at the blessings of his faith, and I pray that we would see something this morning. If we chose not to walk with God in our day-to-day, like this last week, are you walking with God? Are you walking with him? You may be like, what do you mean? Are you seeking him? Are you walking in his word? Are you seeking his, are you dependent upon him? Are you seeking his provision that only he can give? You see, if we're not, here's the thing that always hits me. If we're not, what lie are you buying into? Now think with me. Have you ever thought about that? When we choose to go our own ways, we're actually buying into the lie that there's greater blessing going after the things of the world or the things of our flesh. You ever thought about that? Why would we not? You remember Elijah says there on Mount Carmel, if the Lord is God, then follow him, follow after him. But what would give me the temptation to go another way, to not walk in the paths of righteousness, to not walk in the paths of holiness, to not walk according to his statutes, to not walk in wisdom, to not walk in the fear of the Lord, to not walk in his way? What would it be? I must have a better opportunity over here. If I walk in this way, if I walk according to the world's way, if I walk after their way, so many times when I trace this word in 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles and Psalms, you know what I discovered? So often the word walk in the Old Testament is referring to someone who walked in another man's way. They'd walk after King Ahab. They'd walk after the kings of Israel. 
they walk not according to the Lord, but I pray we would see something. The kindness of God, it's no accident that we're all here looking at the authority of what God's word says in Hebrews 11, five and six. The spirit of God is calling out to us today to walk a better way, to walk according to his best, to walk according to his grace, to walk according to his provision. Look at this, it's a walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. It's, what does the law of God represent? It represents his will. It's, it's the attitude of the individual that says, God, show me your ways. Show me your will. Show me what you have for me. It's a walk that is dependent. It's, look at this, Proverbs 8, it's a walk in righteousness. It's a walk in righteousness. And when we think about righteousness, it's I walk in the way of righteousness in the paths of justice. We, we see in, look at this, in 2 Kings chapter 20, now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. I love this phrase, though, have walked before you in faithfulness. It's a wholehearted walk, isn't it? Wholehearted done what is good in your sight. So we see all these passages. It's a walk that's not according to the flesh, but it's according to the spirit. Look at Galatians 5. But I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We can't walk with God if we don't want to say no to the flesh. Well, how do the, that, what's the best way we say no to the flesh? We say yes to Christ. Can't walk this walk if you're going to go after every fleshly appetite. You ever notice it's hard to get in shape if you go after every fleshly, culinary, evil? You know, you, you know it's amazing that uh, when you want to see what a, a slug you are and you look at a guy like Tom Brady, who's only four years younger than you and tearing up the NFL. And then you hear about his, his discipline and you hear about he doesn't eat those Snickers. He doesn't even eat strawberries. I hadn't figured that one out, but that's one of the things he can't eat. He doesn't eat strawberries. He, he goes after all these things. He says no to so many things in order to walk a certain way. Now, again, that's a silly, earthly example, but I want you to think about a spiritual analogy of this, and I want you to think of something. Don't pretend yourself all of us understand if we're going to walk with God, enabled by the grace of God, we can't say yes to the flesh. We can't walk, and every time somebody cuts us off, we're ready to chase them down and cut them off. We can't walk going every impulse of the flesh, where if you wrong me, I'm ready to speak harsh words back. We can't walk after all the immoral impulses of our flesh. We can't walk after all the relational sin that we're tempted to go after. It is a walk of submission before Christ, saying yes to God and no to our flesh. I tell you again, you know, I think that one of the things that we learn here is that this is not the exception to the rule. This is the rule. This is how we're called to walk. And you say, how in the world can we walk that way? I hear you, and I pray that it leads us to, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You look at all of these and you go, but how, Lord? You think that sometimes? God puts a difficult person in your life you didn't even know existed? You thought you'd only known irritated. You thought you've, you thought you've been around the most irritating person in the world until you met this brother. 
or this sister? Are are y'all in the same world with me? You know what I mean? And what happens? You're either at that moment become desperate. Oh God, if I'm gonna walk with you, it's not gonna be in my strength. It's not gonna be according to my way, according to my wisdom, but thanks be to God for new covenant grace. Thanks be to God for the power of the gospel. And what we see is, is that we have this invitation to walk with God. So a lot of passages, I'm gonna stop there, but that just gets our appetite wet for what it means to walk with the Lord. So we see the blessings, the backdrop of his faith. We see the blessings of his faith, the blessings of his faith. And the blessings of his faith are so real. But the third one I wanna look at with you is the testimony of his faith. Look at verse five. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. What does the word commended mean? It means to be a witness. It means to bear witness, to testify strongly, to have good witness. And we look at this, we saw it in Hebrews 7, verse 17, when it says, for it is witnessed of him. Uh, In Hebrews 11, as we started this section, we saw in verse 2, for by it the people of old received their commendation. Uh, Hebrews 11, 4 speaks about this was something that God commended Abel in. It says God commending him by accepting his gifts. And so when we look at this passage, I think it's important to understand his most important commendation is that which was from God. And it can only be, so we can only be commended by God on the basis of faith. But I want you to think of another angle here. Another angle here is, is that I think we see that his walk bore witness in his life. His walk bore witness in his life. So again, it had to be seen. It's a witness. You're bearing witness. I think that one of the things we can see implied by this text is that Enoch's life, due to God's grace in enabling him to walk and please God, bore witness horizontally to people that he indeed walked with God. Another way of looking at this is that we cannot walk with God without it affecting our walk with men. I, have you ever lost sight of that? I, uh, I know I did as a teenager. I, one of the laboratories that God was using to sanctify me, it was my, the laboratory of being in life with my sister, Stephanie Barber. And Stephanie's one of my best friends on this planet. We are so close. But if she was here, I could tell you the same thing. At, at that age, she drove me crazy. She drove me absolutely crazy. We weren't allowed to look at each other on trips. My parents put a clothes hanger in the back seat, and there was a shirt in the middle. And I was not allowed to look at her. Because when I looked at her, I had a tendency to do things that were sinful. And so they were trying to help me with that. 
But one day I got in the car as a teenager. It was like 10th grade. So, I, you know, you'd think I'd grow in maturity at some point. I got in the car, and my father looked at me, and, and he said something, and it was the first time this ever clicked in my head. And he looked at me, and he says, well, son, he goes, how are you doing this morning? And I said, I'm fine. I was real quick and short with that age. And uh, he goes, well, you know, I can see some things are happening with you in your walk with God. And I was like, looked at him like, what are you talking about? You know, what do you mean? And he goes, your, your fellowship and your attitude towards your sister tells me something's not healthy with you and your walk with God. And I remember looking at him thinking, the first thought I had as an arrogant teenager, God was in the process of teaching me. But my first thought was, you don't know anything about my walk with God. You're not around in my private life. You're my father. You may be the preacher of the church, but you don't know all that's going on in the inner workings of my life. But what was my dad and his wisdom pointing out to me? If we're walking with God vertically, it always has a way of translating to the horizontal. So this morning, one thing I pray that we would see is that we can't be deceived into thinking that our walk with God is in this wonderful fellowship when we treat our brother, our sister in Christ sinfully. It's not the way it works. You see, this reminds me of, you remember the big debate we talked about when we were going through the book of James? People say, what in the world? Why would Paul say we're justified by faith? And why would James say we're justified by works? Well, we're justified by faith vertically. No man can please God. No man can be saved by his works. It's only through the work of Christ. But then we talked about how that word justified has more than one definition. And the same faith that justifies us before God, it demonstrates us as righteous before men by our works. You see, the faith that vertically justifies us horizontally is displayed in our living. And one of the things that I think you see is that Cain, not Cain, but Enoch was a man who followed God and it inevitably commended him not only before God, but it bore witness in his life of the walk that he had with God. I tell you, it's encouraging because we can't walk with God without his spirit working and reproving us of sin, correcting us of sin, and training us in the ways of righteousness. This is fun because it hit me. You know, I was thinking about it in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, in the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. But then it hit me, the passage we looked at when I said we have to walk in a manner worthy or walk in humility. Notice this. Notice how walking with God is connected with how we treat our brother. You see, we can't, one always affects the other. See, I, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now notice, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager, to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. A walk with God is going to be visibly seen in our walk with men. I tell you, I pray that it would make you go, wow, what a glorious, glorious salvation in Jesus that he could take someone so prone 
to discord and so prone to disunity as myself and by his grace enable me to experience unity, to experience love. I tell you, one of the joys of the Christian life is in our dealings with difficult people, when we cry out to God and we acknowledge what we're not and we acknowledge our own weakness in his strength, when we respond in ways that honor him and when we respond in ways that edify the body of Christ, God, by his goodness, reminds us that we could never do that apart from new covenant grace. You see, walking with God is going to be seen. It's going to bear witness in our life. It's going to bear witness in our life. But another aspect of this, I'll tell you another one that really was fun, is like if you got your Bible, if you're in Ephesians, go to Ephesians 5.15. Ephesians 5.15. He says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. It's a wise walk, but what is the wise walk that we see in Ephesians 5.15? It's the one that in verse 18, he goes down to verse 18, and what does he say? He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. So what he basically is saying is, a walk in wisdom is a walk being filled with the Spirit. Well, then you go, okay, well, what are the results of being filled with the Spirit? Is it some emotional experience? that I had in a worship service where I jumped up four feet and hurt my L5? Is it, is it some emotional, you know, this, this crazy thing that happens? No, in this text, it has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with relationships in the body of Christ. Being filled with the Spirit is not some this, this emotional, ecstatic experience that people go after is if that's the manifestation everywhere you see this. Where is it here? It's going to be seen in the way the people in the body of Christ address one another. It's going to be seen in the way that we give thanks to God. It's going to be seen in the way we submit to one another in verse 21. It's going to be seen in the way wives and husbands deal with each other in verses 22 through 31. It's going to be seen in the way children deal with their parents in chapter 6, verse 1. It's going to be seen in the way parents deal with their children in chapter 6, verse 4. It's going to be seen in all the relationships in the church. And what we see in Enoch is an example in our lives by grace. Enoch's testimony in his faith. It bore witness in his life. It bore witness, but it not only bore witness in his life, it bore witness in his proclamation and speech. Now, this is fun because he mentions this over in Jude. I, I tell you, I don't know about you, but I, isn't it just amazing the richness of God's word? It is so rich. It is so rich. I pray that, uh, that one thing that would happen, it would be a tragedy, wouldn't it? That if we would go, I don't know how long uh, God has me on this earth. And uh, I've almost been here 15 years, so I'm not looking to leave. I don't know how long I'm going to be here. But I, wouldn't it be a tragedy if we went through verse by verse in books and we didn't grow in such a love for the word of God and such an appreciation for the word of God where we go, wow, man, look at that. It's amazing. Uh, that's what's happening when I'm studying this. Jude 8, not, I'm sorry, Jude 14, one chapter in Jude. 
So if you go to Jude chapter 14, rip it out of your Bible because there's only one chapter. All right, Jude verse 14. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied saying, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000s of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. So it's a long explanation as to where this quote comes from, but it shows us that where this quote comes from was actually testifying to a true situation in the life of Enoch. This is this actually happened. And he says here that what did Enoch do? He, he, he proclaimed, he prophesied, and he said, behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all. Now think about it. He was living in a day in Genesis chapter five, and he was announcing the judgment of God. Now here's what's phenomenal. What chapter comes after Genesis chapter five? Genesis chapter Yes, and that's the story of who? Noah. You see, isn't that amazing? Enoch was declaring the judgment of God upon people that would not walk with him, on people that didn't come to him by faith. He was proclaiming to them the holy judgment of God. But not only that, there's a tenderness here. He says, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness. I'll tell you, apart from God's Gracious conviction in our sin, we would never come to the gracious gift of salvation. Aren't you thankful he's a gracious convictor? Remember in Romans, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance? And Enoch was a, he was a vessel. He was a spokesperson. He was a preacher. He was a prophet of judgment and, and he had to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Again, he's in a backdrop of a culture that's gone crazy. People say, oh no, what am I gonna do? I'm in a culture that is now accepting all of these cultural ills. It's now changed the entire sexual ethic. What shall I do? Well, maybe we need to change it up and maybe we need to become a progressive church and we need to look at the world and say, yes, we agree with you. These things are fine. If that's our mentality, we know nothing of walking with God. He's in a culture where everything's gone crazy. And what is he doing? As a result of walking with God, he boldly proclaims the truth of the situation. I'll tell you what's crazy too. I never knew this next one. So I'm, I'm learning so much. So sometimes you go, how did you know that? I'm like, I didn't until last week. Methuselah was his son. Methuselah, 969 years on this earth. Methuselah's name, it, it, it's interesting. It, 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 it's the idea of man of the javelin or man of the sending forth. And many people say that the implication here is that God would send forth judgment. And here's what's phenomenal. Do you realize Methuselah? Many biblical scholars believe his name was an announcement of judgment and he lived 
longer than any person in the Old Testament. And what does it teach you about the character of God? He endured with sinners 969 years in his patient appeal for people to repent. I tell you what's amazing. Guess what year Methuselah died? He died the year of the flood. I don't know if that hits you, but I was like, wow, are you kidding me? You mean to tell me that he was his name, Enoch's mission, he was a proclaimer of God's truth. Have you ever heard anybody say this? Uh, when you leave today, go out and preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. I can't stand that statement. It's always necessary to use words. I love the idea of a life that reflects the gospel, but the gospel can't be proclaimed without words. You see, apart from the revelation of how God has come to save man, man in their sins is wondering. I told you about the guy that was so different in his workplace. And he's like, man, I never want to say anything about my faith because I don't want to offend anybody here. He's like, I'm just going to be a different person and people are going to see it. And I agree that that's one of the ways that God uses in 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. He says, abstain from fleshly lust. They'll see your good works, all that kind of stuff. I agree, but it always is coupled with the proclamation. Well, a guy finally came to him one day and he says, man, you're different around here. He's like, what's up with you? He's like, I know what it is. And the guy got excited. He goes, you're a vegetarian, aren't you? <laughs> Live a life that speaks of the testimony of God's grace. But always remember, a walk with God doesn't just bear witness towards men in a lifestyle. It bears witness towards men in speech to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Wow, this is rich. Um, next time, a life that pleases God, part three, Enoch and Noah. Uh, there's a lot more to go through, but I want to leave you with this today. I want to leave you with this. I... Um, who or what are you walking after today? That's my question. You're walking after something. It's sort of like uh, you place your hope in something. It's true, isn't it? I've never lived my life without placing hope in something. I might be placing my hope in money, placing my hope in my health, placing my hope in sports, placing my hope in just crazy temporal things. But you can't live this life in neutral when it comes to walking. You walk after something. Who are you walking after today? Are you walking after the things of God? Are you walking after the things of the world? And I want to leave with you today the hope that the hope of, of Christ is, is, you know, we looked at Colossians 2, 6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. And, and I want to remind you of something today. I think sometimes, again, there's those reasons that the commands of Ephesians that we focus so much on this morning, those commands flow out of the blessings. The blessings of the gospel are the very soil in which we exercise obedience to the commands. I want to remind you this morning that the only way that we can walk with God is because of the promises through the new covenant. You remember as Jesus was in the, 
there at the upper room, there at the Last Supper, this is the new covenant in my blood. And he's, he's basically announcing to them as those guys were looking at him in that tense moment as it was approaching midnight and they were about to walk across the Kidron Valley and go all the way to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus understood in the moment that it was about to be time. You know, all through the gospels, it's not yet time. Don't go tell anyone, but now it was time. It was time to make that journey to the garden through which he would be arrested, through which he would make his way to the cross. And it was time in the fullness of the time that God had prescribed for Jesus to be a substitute for our sins. It was time through his work at the cross and through what would come there shortly after for the new covenant to be inaugurated. And what was the promise of that new covenant? He says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and on their heart I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. In verse 34, they will not teach again each man his neighbor and each man his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest of them, declares the Lord. This morning, if you approach walking with God, it's just another task that you must fulfill in your life in order to gain favor with God. It's not the gospel. It's just another way of man-made religion. But if you see this call and this command and this heart of what you're to walk and live out of is only possible to you, by the free grace and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It takes on a whole new dimension and you begin to see something, as I've said before, it's not doing what you do to earn God's favor, it's doing what you do because of God's favor. And in Christ Jesus, as we begin to see the marvelous blessings of our faith, we now, enabled by grace, take steps to walk with our Lord, according to his word. So friend, as we leave here, I pray that individuals, corporately, that we come before God and say, God, would you reveal to my heart, what am I walking after? And I pray that you'd meditate on Colossians 2.6, as you therefore have received Christ Jesus, so walk ye in him. Would you bow your head? Lord, I thank you for your work. I thank you, God, for the truth, and I thank you, God, for the kindness of your gracious, gracious gift. Lord, as we continue to look at this passage, I pray, oh God, we would understand a little bit more and more of what it means to walk with you, and Lord, I pray we would understand this dimension of, of this testifying of your grace, Lord, that God, you desire to manifest it in our life. Lord, not that it would be words only with no lifestyle, but Lord, that there'd be a beautiful fragrance that, that was a testi testimony before men. But Lord, but not just a testimony before men in our lifestyle, but Lord, you call us to proclaim your truth to proclaim it boldly and to share of your marvelous grace 
and provision in Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you'd stand with me.